Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale November 16th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yes, this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we run you through all the brand new issues on sale this week, including our three top picks. But there's a lot of great books this week. It was really, it was actually a little hard for us to to pick three. So we're going to give out an award and tell you about some other great comics out this week, tell you what collections are on sale, what Infinity Comics have hit Marvel Unlimited, just all the comics hitting Marvel Unlimited this week. We're going to get into all that. And we have a reading club. What's our reading club this week? Yes, we are talking to writer Ryan North uh, about Fantastic Four, The Coming of Galactus, a.k.a. the Galactus Trilogy. Yeah. Um, Hopefully everybody read the brand new Fantastic Four number one from Ryan North Mm -hmm. and Ivan Coelho and team last week when it came out. If not, read it. We're going to get into a little bit of it when we discuss it later on in the show. But right now, let's get into our brand new issues and our picks of the week with... First pick, Captain America and the Winter Soldier Special, number one, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, penciled by Kev Walker, inks by J.P. Meyer, and colors by K.G. Diaz, with lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. Jackson and Colin are the writers for our Captain America Sentinel of Liberty series, and this spins right out, like right out of the, the events of the last couple of issues where... Big things have been going on for everybody's favorite bad boy, Bucky Barnes, and uh, he's got a new name. He is no longer kind of the Winter Soldier, even though Mm-mm. Winter Soldier is in the title of this issue. Uh, but there's some big things going on. Most importantly, though, here we get a ton of context, information, backstory for a bunch of characters that have been plaguing Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes and a whole bunch of people. They are called the Outer Circle, and we've we've gotten bits and pieces of them over the past couple of months. And now we are we're, we're getting like a bit of origins. We're getting uh, motivations. We're getting how they formed, why they're doing what they're doing. I I love it. It's not like take over the world and do this. It's just hey, we're playing a game. It's Bing a bong. game. It's I love it. Wild. It's great. Uh, that That's not such a huge spoiler. They've mentioned the game previously in the issues, but you really get to see um, what that game means and how they are functioning and, and playing against, off, and kind of with each other. There's numerous uh, members of the Outer Circle, but Bucky has come in because he was, he was a pawn in their games, mm-hmm. and he's just like, no more, and... Took some took some big steps and now he is playing the game. He's got his man bun pulled up real tight. He's got a cool <laughs> cloak. He's doing some really intense stuff in here, uh, even at the cost of some of his relationships with some yes. of his closest. So we'll see how this all shakes out. Of course, we are marching toward Cold War in the next couple of months. The big crossover between all the Captain's America titles, uh, a lot going on. Before I, I let you jump in and go on to the next book, Jasmine, I got to make sure we talk about Kev Walker. Just the true madman genius of it all. He does everything from cool technology to period pieces. There's like this montage that skips around from uh, from decade to decade in this. And just how quickly you feel the the vibes of each of those decades just from one panel that Kev draws. It's, it's spectacularly done. There's also these two double-page spreads that are very intentionally, they, they feel like, you know, widescreen, big 
wide long shots and there's a bit of text on them and you feel just like like there's just like this sound effect that pounds you into it it's it's really great loving 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 the captain america titles right now yes all right next up we have murder world avengers number one so murder world if you're not familiar with what it is is essentially a game that is hosted by the villain arcade He's a villain that's appeared in countless X-Men stories and Spider-Man stories as well as others, but in this one, instead of following one of these main heroes, we're following a blogger slash YouTuber type character who is essentially trying to uncover all these secret places that may or may not exist, all these urban legends, uh, because he's one, discovered a passion for these types of mysteries, but also two, uh, is kind of just doing it for the clicks and likes. So one day while he's kind of exploring in the mountains, he discovers a remnant of Murder World. We're not quite sure if it's the new one or a former one, but it's just kind of hidden within the mountains. He records it, publishes it on his channel, and before he knows it, he gets an invite from Arcade himself asking him to, you know, do a little collab together. Um, but you know what? Turns out that Arcade's evil and he actually is just gonna recruit him into the game to hopefully die. So he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, the story is full of shocking turns. I cannot recommend this book enough. I was legitimately just gobsmacked when I got to a certain panel. Ryan, I know you texted you <laughs> about it because I couldn't believe that we got away with publishing it. Um, I am fascinated to see where this goes. It is full of lots of mysteries. It is very much a battle royale type story. Um, we have plenty of contestants, about 200 of them, who have all actually voluntarily joined this game in hopes of getting Arcade to make their biggest dream come true, whether it's money, fame, etc., etc. Um, but as we follow this kid, we start to uncover layers of the story. We figure out, you know, who these contestants are. They may not be quite the people that we think they are at first. Um, and this is really, truly one of my favorite types of story where we get a bunch of characters who are thrown in the midst of this game of sorts where they have to continue level by level a la Squid Game to try to not only escape, but survive and get to the bottom of this evil plot. I cannot recommend this book enough. Um, all right. Our third pick this week is one of our favorites, Immortal X-Men number eight, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Michele Bandini, colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This was, there's, there was no way I was not going to be ensnared by so the trap good. that is this issue. It's focused almost, almost entirely on Mystique and Destiny and Sinister. Well, three three characters with their relationship, just this roiling, terrifying, constant thing, and really getting into the history of their relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, beautifully rendered by Michelet's art. I love the way he draws Mystique. There's just something about the way he draws eyes on characters. There's a, a softness when that emotion really needs to kick in that... It's hard. I'm, I'm having a little trouble kind of describing it because, right, you want to see eyes that give us that emotion, that give us a little sense of who these characters are. But I, I'm looking at different panels, like one in particular I'm looking at right now where Mystique is sitting down and it's on profile and she's looking up at Irene, a.k.a. Destiny. And there's it's it's just a simple little thing, but there's such like love in her look that she's giving Irene. And again, this is in profile. This is a very small shot. There's something really beautiful there. Um, and then you flip the next page and you get to Sinister, Nathaniel Essex, 
who's just gaunt and he's he looks on the verge of death uh it's it's really really great stuff we get uh, a naked uh, sinister uh doing some really nasty stuff we get the mid chain shot of mystique running is oh, so good dope it's so so good uh so we got beautiful art throughout and really giving us a ton of character building stuff of a bunch of world building stuff that is all set in the past, but really informs where we are in the here and now of Krakoa and where we're going. All right, before we get on to our new award name and the fabulous fresh new floppies this week, we got to talk about last week's award name, which was the Believe in Blood Award that came from Amazing Spider-Man issue number 13. And our winner this week is a brand new winner. Um, I believe it's the first time he's emailed in. It's Derek Grafe who nailed it and found that the quote came from Amazing Spider-Man number 13. In an email, he wrote, You guys are great. I love listening to you each and every week. Your absolute passion for these books has made me pick up a book or two that I wouldn't otherwise read. Keep it up. That's why we do what we do. It's great to hear it. Uh, we have a couple of honorable mentions and shout outs. We have the Tech Lord, aka Lex Pendragon, over on Twitter, who found it in Amazing Spider Man 13 as well. And of course, we got a pair of amazing, lovely emails from Joe Hoffman. Expect a reply soon. On behalf of Ryan and myself, thank you so much for sending those in. We love to read what you guys are all up to and your appreciation for the show. Thank you. All right, that covers all the award stuff for last week. This week, though, we have a brand new award name. Ryan, are you ready to hear this week's award name? Sure am. This week's award name is the You Could Learn a Thing or Two from Cats Award. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll be easy to find, um, but it's also said from maybe a character y'all wouldn't know very well. But it's a great line. I think a, a soon-to-be fan favorite character if, if all things Easily. line up, right? right? Mine already. Yeah. 100%. So if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to Agent M and Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at marvel.com. If you're among the first, uh, keep your DMs open, watch your emails. I will hit you back with something cool. Again, that award name is you could learn a thing or two from cats and let's dish out some awards to our fabulous fresh floppies this week. All right, first up, we have Blade Vampire Nation number one, and this book reminded me a lot of Blade Runner, which is kind of funny because it's Blade. And There's a Blade Runner reference in here. Is there really? I'm pretty I sure. I did not catch there's, that. there's a Blade Runner reference in one of the books this week, and I think it's in this one. Then I totally missed it because I love Blade Runner, so I'm shocked I missed it. So this story follows Blade playing sheriff slash detective in a nation of vampires known as Vampirsk as he is recruited by Dracula to get to the bottom of a hit that was essentially placed on him. It is a slow burn of a story, um, and it's full of world-building details on how the vampire nation runs its politics, society, economy. Really, no details in this book are throwaways. A lot of it is stuff that we haven't learned before, including how they recruit humans to work jobs during the daytime that they can't really do themselves, you know, because they're vampires. Um, and also, they may recruit humans for other things i mean you'll have to read to find out um but i'm giving my you could learn a thing or two from cats award to the contessa who's been alive for centuries and is constantly complaining about how today's vampires will never know what it's like to be an apex predator like they were in the good old days back when 
there was only one vampire per town and they were feared. Yeah. And let's not confuse her with the Contessa Valentina Allegra right. de Fontaine, who is the yes. uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. character. This one's an aristocrat, as she says. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, on to Demon Wars S.H.I.E.L.D. of Justice number one. This is the latest issue in Peach Momoko's amazing series of stories um, that really we're now in the, the sort of Civil war bits. And there's a lot of action that's going on here between warring factions, really gnarly stuff, great character designs. There's this one panel of a cat jumping out at Marco, and it's it's great. Uh, but I will give my You Could Learn a Thing or Two from Cats award to the Carnage iteration in this. The, the, oh, just like, wait, what is, where is it? Oh, uh-huh. Huh? Every yokai that Peach designs for this, I am constantly uh, over the moon about. All right, next up we have Gambit number five, and this is the last issue of this Gambit miniseries uh, by Chris Claremont, and it really brings everything together uh, really neatly. It brings the majority of the characters that we've met throughout these past four issues together to this giant climactic battle that is completely scored by Lila Cheney. It's amazing. But I'm going to give my You Could Learn a Thing or Two from Cats Award to Chris Claremont because I was very... Very, very, very impressed with this story. Um, the level of detail and also the characters that we got. Like this was much less a Gambit book and more of a just badass women book uh, teaming up with Gambit. For sure. We've got the first issue of Gold Goblin out this week, which focuses on Norman Osborn and what he's got going on. I want to give my You Could Learn a Thing or Two from Cats Award to two different things. The first to Gold Goblin signing a skull which was hilarious <laughs> and bonkers. But also I want to give one more importantly to the feeling of, of Norman Osborn being constantly on the edge. It, that, that sense of like he is just a millimeter away from falling over and off the precipice and into madness, into the Green Goblin persona, into everything that he is fighting against that he has been sort of like purged of since the uh, the Sin Eater saga of, of the last couple of years. So you get this real sense of dread and foreboding and terror across all this that he is fighting really hard for. I think uh, Christopher Cantwell, the writer here, does such a great job of that. Yes. Speaking of Christopher Cantwell, we have Iron Man number 25, which is also Iron Man Legacy number 650. Um, and it's written by Chris Cantwell, but this is the last issue of his uh, run on the book. And this is a very heartfelt story uh, about what it means to be a hero. And it was something that, you know, hit me hard mm -hmm. when I was reading this book or the story, because it is something that we don't really get to see in a lot of superhero stories, which is what happens when they fail a mission. And it's done in such a subtle and delicate way in this issue that I just had to get my hats off to the team on this book. But I'm going to split my award because there are three stories in this book. The first one is the one that, that's written by Chris Cantwell. But then we get a story by our boys Murwa Ayodele and Doton Akande, who write a short story that takes place during Brian Michael Bendis' run of Iron Man, uh, back when Thor was the Odin son. And... It's it's great. They it's just two sad boys talking about their dads. But if you notice at the end of that story, it's a little teaser that we're getting them and doing some more. I'm very excited. But that's mm -hmm. that's my first award. The second award has to go to Sleepwalker, who makes an appearance in this issue. 
who hasn't appeared in Marvel Comics in God knows how many years, but I'm happy to see him alongside Hellcat in this issue. Oh, you Sleepwalker fans, all tens of you. Yes. You're, you're just over the moon. Let's get that Christopher Cantwell hat trick in the net. See, that's sports right there for you. Sports. With our third Christopher Cantwell book this week, Namor Conquered Shores number two. There you've got a like road trip with Namor and Luke Cage. You've got uh, just this like older, more introspective Namor, which I'm deeply in love with. But I want to give my You Could Learn a Thing or Two from Cats award to the two pages in which we flash back to Namor and Sue Storm's presumably last time together. The looks, the vibe, the body language, the chemistry, the everything that Christopher Cantwell, the writer here, and uh, Pasquale Ferry, the just legendary artist, do here. Oh, the the last three panels. You've got one panel on the left of Namor with this like smile that could melt anyone. Looking to the right, you got a middle panel of the two of them having their you know like last couple of words, and he's like, "I suppose you wouldn't let me kiss you goodbye." And then the third panel is uh, is Sue looking the other way, looking at that other Namor, and she says, "You know I won't." even if it's what I want. Kiss him. Kiss the boy. (laughs) Oh, oh my God. Uh, One day, one day. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Shang-Chi and the 10 rings number five, which is part two of game of rings by Gene Luen Yang and Marcus Toe. And I'm going to give my, you could learn a thing or two from cats award to the origin of the 10 rings that are presented in this issue. Um, It is very fascinating. There's a lot of secrets that are revealed and it might have to do with the number of the rings. Maybe there's more. Hmm. 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 One of our, our classic favorites. I specifically went, I would choose this, but I'm not (laughs) choosing it this week. Uh, It is She-Hulk number eight. It remains so good and it remains such like a, like, I love all the choices that the team makes here. Rainbow Rowell is our writer. It's it's edited amazingly by Nick Lowe and crew. Uh, beautiful art by Takeshi Miyazawa. It features Jen Walters and She-Hulk minimally in this issue. Instead, it really is focused on two characters who kind of beat the crap out of She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Last issue have been plaguing her a little bit. And we're following their story. This broke my heart it was a heartbreaker for sure oh my god it's it's a story about love about uh intelligence about being having a a partner in life in business in love and all these things it is beautifully told it is going to wind you up and tear you down even if you are not reading she hulk right now Mm -hmm. if you're like oh i haven't read the last seven issues doesn't matter you can pick this issue up as it is get this beautiful story all in one of these two characters, what they've gone through, what they're doing, why they're doing it, all this stuff. It is, it's really good. I'm going to give my, uh, you could learn a thing or two from cats award to, uh, there's so many scenes in here that I love. There's like, I, I think the little jokes between the yes. characters, they have a lot of little really cheesy, wonderful jokes that are so true to, uh, how you might talk with your partner and make up dumb things and 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 you know have silly little phrases and and jokes with each other it's beautiful stuff rainbow's really good at writing these uh love stories huh uh rainbow's really good period <laughs> like uh, we don't need to qualify Facts. it with anything rainbow is just so flipping good as we all so know. good 
So good. Um, speaking of love stories, next up we have Star Wars Dr. Aphra issue number 26. And if you remember the last issue of Dr. Aphra, we left Dr. Aphra possessed by the spark, which kind of took over her body and in turn is going after essentially the Sith Lords. Uh, but it turned her against her friends. And there is a moment here in this issue where we get Dr. Aphra to snap back to reality and it involves her ex. And it is such a heartfelt moment that if you've ever had any type of, you know, ex-partner, like no matter what, like you, there is still love there. Like there's always going to be love between someone who you spent so much time with. Um, and that moment's going to get my, you could learn a thing or two from Kat's award because talk about heartbreak, man. Damn you, Alyssa Wong. Damn you. Mm, I know. That's a great issue. Um, all right. Another great issue is Star Wars Han Solo and Chewbacca number seven. Uh, this involves a prison break. It's got Han Solo with a beard. If you somehow needed another reason to check this out, I'm going to give my you could learn a thing or two from Cat's award to the way Maz Kanata pops out of a <laughs> secret place during the prison break. I come on. I'm looking at the panel right now and it's got one little sound effect and it is tremendous. All right, next up, we have Star Wars Hidden Empire number one, which is the first of a five-issue miniseries um, that is kind of detailing what's been going on behind the scenes with Crimson Dawn. And if you're not familiar with them, this is the perfect book to get into because within the first not even five pages, you get to learn the entire history of the Crimson Dawn, what they do, how they've been operating in the shadow, and essentially have been in a secret war against the Empire this entire time. And I'm going to give my you could learn a thing or two from Cat's Award to Charles Soule, who does a really great job at weaving in all of these small moments from not only the entirety of Star Wars comics, but some of the, from a lot of the movies and the TV shows, like small little moments and details that you wouldn't realize until, you know, you read this book and you're like, oh, like Crimson Dawn's been behind a lot of stuff. And they're a bigger threat to the Empire than, you know, you might think. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got issue four of Thunderbolts out this week. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go and give my, you could learn a thing or two from Kat's award to the artist team here, Sean Isaacs uh, with Netho Diaz uh, and Victor Olazaba and Hava Tartaglia. Um, so it's pencilers, inkers, colorists. Um, Sean, the lead on the uh, penciling and inking, just because it's such a gorgeous book and there's a lot of, like moving around of, of styles and costumes and, and really like shifting a bunch of things in this issue. But one, we get America in a costume I will not spoil for anyone, but we get America <laughs> giving a uh, German suplex to Whirlwind. And it's so beautifully detailed, like his helmet is cracking. She's got her uh, her feet lifted up like you would in a really proper, great German suplex. Wrestling nerds, you feel me. You know what I'm talking about. But there's also this double-page spread where you've got the team and it's it says, Call in the Thunder. And it's the really just this bananas uh, series of panels and structures and seeing characters. Like, this should be a poster. Man. It's a good, it's a good ass issue. This should be a whole animated series. I want to watch it. Oh yeah, it'd be so good. Mm -hmm. We've got Ultraman: The Mystery of Ultra Seven, number four this week, and this is like a knockdown, drag out fight between the two Ultras, and it is, it's, it's rad. It's a, it's a good fight, wonderfully choreographed. But I'm gonna give my, you can learn a thing or two from Cats to the mysterious 
Jack. And you even get a little, like, there's a little arrow on the cover, like, mm. what is Jack? Uh, okay. When you get this big splash page of Jack, and it's like little sound effects, uh, it's it's rad. I want I want a toy of Jack right here on my desk. All right. Last but not least, we have Wakanda number two. And full disclosure, when I opened this book up to the first page, my jaw dropped because I, I, there were two characters that were presented who I haven't seen, who I don't think anybody has seen since the Christopher yeah. Priest run of Black Panther. But not only that, we get a moment between Vibraxis and Queen Divine Justice, a.k.a. Asari Devine, who is a former Dora Milaje slash Jabari princess, have a moment together, that, a moment that they haven't shared since Christopher Priest's run, which is, I mean, they were pretty much dating like they were a forbidden love in that in that entire run and it never really blossomed into anything and in this issue not only do we get an amazing M'Baku story but we get both Monica Rambeau and Queen Divine Justice to fly out to intergalactic Wakanda to meet up with this group and I was fascinated by the way that Asiri Devine was able to essentially impart the wisdom that she was imparted with by M'Baku back on Wakanda on Earth to this other version of M'Baku in intergalactic Wakanda um, and really like go complete full circle. And I don't know, it's just like, it's fascinating to see these characters finally come back. You know, there's so many characters in this world of Wakanda and to see them all kind of intertwine and really flesh out what Wakanda is, is fantastic. And Evan is clearly having fun here. He is telling a spectacular story, bringing characters who we haven't seen in a while back and giving us more Monica Rambeau. Like, I can't thank him enough. There's way too many things I want to give my, you could learn a thing or two from Cat's Award in this, but I'm definitely going to give it to a series of in AKA Queen Divine Justice because I love her so damn much and I'm so happy to see her back. Hell yeah. Um, also, this just makes me want Evan to write a intergalactic Empire please, of Wakanda please. series. Just give me give please. me more of this. It was so great. All right. We got to keep on moving because we got collections on sale this week. We've got a Mighty Marvel Masterworks for Namor. So some old school Namor stories, which is always terrific. And Ultimates by Miller and Hitch Omnibus. Come on. If you've never read The Ultimates by Mark Miller and what Brian Hitch. What are you Hitch, doing? Come on. It's some good comics. All right. Also, we have a bunch of Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. We have Avengers and Moon Girl number one, Avengers 59, Axe Judgment Day number two. We have Giant Size Gwen Stacy number one, which collects all of the issues of Gwen Stacy. Um, We have Predator one, Ms. Marvel and Wolverine one, and Punisher number five. Also on MU are a bunch of Infinity Comics. We're really just continuing a lot of the stories that have been going on. So if you've been reading, there's new issues of X-Men Unlimited, Avengers Unlimited, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Electric Rain, Marvel's Voices, Nova, Love Unlimited, X-Loves of Wolverine, and It's Jeff. So lots of great new Infinity Comics for you this week. But now it is time for our reading club, Jasmine. Once again, what are we talking about? We are talking to Ryan North about Fantastic Four, The Coming of Galactus, a.k.a. the Galactus Trilogy. Very exciting stuff. We're also going to be talking to him about his run on Fantastic Four. So stick around for that, too. Okay, Jasmine, it is a delight for us to bring in our guest this week, a returning guest, Mr. Ryan North. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. 
<laughs> the League of Ryan's grows. <laughs> and we are very excited because, uh, one, you are the new writer of Fantastic Four, which I, I really dug that first issue. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a bit. But our reading club this week, you have chosen some one of the most reprinted stories, one of the most celebrated <laughs> stories in Marvel Comics history. Uh, Fantastic Four, 48, 49, and 50, the coming of Galactus, the the Galactus trilogy, whatever you want to call it, but the classic by Stanley, Jack Kirby, Joe Sinnott, and and the rest of the crew. Wow. Yeah, just a real a real normie entry-level basic <laughs> choice from Ryan here. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> the no, no, most no, no, reprinted no. Fantastic Four story in history. I, Ryan thinks it's good. <laughs> I had to like go into our notes and see if like anybody had picked this. And I'm like shocked. We've been doing this for almost three years. And yeah. like, no one has yet picked hmm. the coming of Galactus. So I'm very excited to talk about this. Yeah. I love Galactus. Yeah. And the Fantastic yeah. Four are good too. I guess. They're, they're pretty okay. One of the things I wanted to get into before we get into the, the actual story, I was I was curious, as I often am when we, we pick a book, and what was coming out in that week or that month. So issue 48 comes out December 9th, 1965. And if you think about how many comics we publish right now, you know, some weeks we have 24 issues that come out, some weeks we have 15, mm-hmm. you know, ranges. So you will we'll get a roughly 80 issues a month. In December of 1965, and of course, this is only, you know, relatively early in the, the sort of Marvel superhero universe, we have 15 comics that come out. Only 15 wow. comics. Uh, and I would love to share with you some of the others that are released the same time period. So Amazing Spider-Man 34, which is a great Craven story. Avengers 25, it's got Doctor Doom in it and the Avengers facing off with him. Daredevil number 13, which is a really cool cover. Uh, Journey into Mystery 125. X-Men number 17, we've got wow. Tales to Astonish 77, Tales of Suspense 75, Strange Tales 142, Sergeant Fury 27, but maybe more importantly, Patsy Walker's Fashion Parade number one, baby, that comes out that oh my year, God. that month. Um, we Patsy were still, doing still Patsy Walker? Of course. Patsy goes on for a little bit longer. And we also have Modeling with Millie number 45. So Patsy and Millie wow. still rocking and rolling in December of 65. Wow. What a time to be alive. I'm jealous. <laughs> Love those characters. Love those books. I'm so glad they had them. Um, so yeah, we were early into the the Marvel Universe, um, and it's still some great books there. Ryan, do you remember the first time you read this Galactus story? I don't remember. Like, I couldn't tell you where or when I was, but I can yeah. tell you I was reading just reading the early Fantastic Fours. And I'm not sure what I was expecting, but I love, I think no matter what you're expecting, uh, these first, this first run, like it, it, it frustrates those expectations in really fun and, and interesting ways. Like I thought uh, the first issue where they uh, turn a Skrull into a cow <laughs> through hypnotism. Heck like, yeah. I did not think this is where the story was going to go. <laughs> I think it's the unexpectedness and the sense of adventure of we can do anything here. This this story could go anywhere. Yeah. That I, I really loved about the Fantastic Four. That and you know, no more than in this little three issue arc where it starts out in a different, unrelated story that is already bonkers. Yes. <laughs> where we're going to like have this energy wall that becomes harder than steel and sinks to the earth's core. And now that that's out of the way. 
let's deal with the Silver Surfer and Galactus. And then in the three issues later, when we finish the Galactus story, we're busy with Johnny Storm going to college, which gets top billing on the cover. Not Galactus, but Johnny Storm's <laughs> going to college. And then the issue after that, we have uh, Ben Grimm and This Man, This Monster, which is one of the greatest all-time issues oh. of any comic. And it's just, it's just a, a really powerful run that does not go where you think it will. I'm glad that you you brought up the story that starts off this three issue arc where it's like, we're, we're closing off of this like inhuman story. And I, I distinctly remember reading issue number 48. Like once we close out with the inhuman story and like what was going on with Johnny and Crystal, like there are all these like teases where like the sky is on fire. Uh, mm-hmm. We have like random, like space matter coming in and like, you don't, you have no idea what's happening. And then when you get to the last pages and you get that final encounter with silver surfer and you're like, okay, I've been watching this guy like zooming through space. He's so cool. And then all of a sudden you get this red and green Galactus. Christmas Galactus. I was like, what is this? What's happening? I need to track down these other issues. I did not track down those issues for the longest time. Like I remember having to wait until like I got a collected edition because I remember going into the comic shop and like one fantastic 449.50, please. And like getting <laughs> laughed out of the store. Like because oh, I had no idea. I was just like, yeah. I want the next story. And I want to know what this Galactus guy is. And then when I would come back later and see that he wasn't red and green, I was very upset. Because that was the image that was imprinted in my mind for like mm-hmm. a solid couple months. Red and green wearing hot pants. Like he yes. is all leg in this first issue, baby. It's great. <laughs> I love it. This is what makes Galactus so great is he can pull that off and still be this incredible like hungry space guy that's just out there doing his own thing. Yeah. He's like, look at these gams, universe. They're all for you. They're here to distract you while I, I eat and drink your planet. Yeah. No. Do you know, I, I couldn't remember if this was the case or not, but was this the first instance of where Reed Richards doesn't shave to let you know that things are getting really real? I also yeah. noticed that. And I was just like, I don't know. Because then like you also look at Dan Slott's run where he had a beard the entire time. And I was like, man, were, were things really that bad that entire run for him? Like, <laughs> well, What I love about this one is he, he he doesn't shave and is commented on. It and he's like, I don't have time. It's so important. Yeah. And then I think it's the next issue. He's shaving. And be like, what? I can do two things at once. It's no big deal for me. And I'm like, why did we, why did we swerve away from not shaving? It's awesome. The best part about the, the follow-up, though, to me, is not only is he shaving, he's like, look, we got to look good for the end of the world. Yeah. Also, Ben Grimm, the thing, is in a giant bathtub behind in him scrubbing. And he's just like, yeah, that's right. We're getting clean. I, Damn right. I love it so much. It, you know, because this is, there's a lot of discussion that has happened over the years of, whose ideas were what and whose story points were what for this, because this is a Stanley Jack Kirby collaboration. Yeah. It worked, you know, there's a lot of plotting and, and developing that they did hand in hand in a lot of ways. So we don't know all of what is coming from Stan, all of what is coming from Jack. I was reading Tom Brevoort, editor uh, Supreme over at Marvel. I believe you're editor on Fantastic Four right now as well, Ryan, right? Yeah, uh, I was reading Tom's uh, newsletter where he was talking. He broke down like the stages of Stan and Jack's collaboration. Yes, I've read that. Right. It was oh. so cool thinking about how that evolved over time and how it's, you know, sort of the, the way that they worked. But reading it again, it's also looking at two creators who are just firing on every single cylinder. Yes. Jack's yeah. character work is so good. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about Kirby creations and his 
you know, vehicles and, and buildings and, and just devices and things like that, which are absolutely stunning and mind bending. And like, a, there's, you know, the pogo plane in here is like, mm-hmm. unlike any other flying vehicle in any comic, but you also mm-hmm. have Jack's really like very intricate work on faces and acting and little things that go on throughout a lot of like the panic in the streets period for this first oh, issue. I love that panel. Um, like I, that was a panel where like, I, I remember just spending like an hour to just like looking at everyone's face. Like there's so many things going on in that page and you, it, it's very much like a where's Waldo type situation where you're like, there's no Waldo to find, but there are all these different interactions and like panic and like, different types of characters that like, you know, make up New York city, which I think is just such a cool relic of that like era the thing I love about this and a lot of like the early like Fantastic Four stuff is you can kind of you can see where the Marvel method like is working on all cylinders like or like there are certain situations where I think it's in that first issue where they're all riding Johnny Storm is getting attacked by like mobs mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. and like it's they're on the pogo plane it's Reed Sue and the thing and. Reed's like, oh, hold on a second. I'm just going to reach down there and grab him because, like, that would be the logical thing to do. Like, let me just stretch all the way down there and grab him and secure him safely. And then you just see the thing just, like, falling off of the pogo plane. And he's just like, oh, wait, what are you doing over there? And he's just like, I'm just going to go in, like, guns a-blazing. And, like, you can tell that that was a moment where, like, it's not even just, like, the more logical choice. It's just, like, it makes it much more real to me because it's like, yeah, I can totally see that happening. Like, and sure, there might be a little bit of, like, explanation for it that we need to give in order to give context for why it's happening but it adds to the chaos of like a family like a nuclear family like everyone's running on a different frequency but they know they're together and it really just shows who these characters are and the collaboration that these two creators needed to like you know they needed to work on this together they needed to work on ways to make this fluid to make it make sense and it's almost like they're each like challenging each other and forcing each other to like you know really flesh the story out and it's like those little small details that stick into your stick in your head yeah absolutely and one of the things that struck me is especially in this story because the stakes you know are so high it's fate of the earth everyone on it i feel like stan lee's bombastic style was always there but here yeah. i think he's elevated and it's working because it, it is so like i wrote down a line that i loved uh sue says We've left a desperate, soul-searing adventure only Mm -hmm. to return to something that seems far more dangerous, far more terrifying. And that doesn't seem like something that anyone would ever say. We've just left a desperate, soul-searing adventure. But in the context of what's happening, you're like, yes, this is opera. Like, this is, everything's clicking. It feels so, so big and huge and great. And it, it just works together so well. The other thing I noticed with the writing is that, like you were saying, both Ryan and Jasmine, like, these are two people working together really well. And... What I find so fascinating is you look, go back to early comics and especially early Marvel comics and you'll mm-hmm. see like stuff has been changed, stuff is retrocon. You see the beginnings of the character, but not quite there. But like Galactus and Silver Surfer, they're almost fully formed from yeah. the start. There's a couple of unusual beats with like, I think in the second issue, the Silver Surfer is confused by Alice eating food. It's like, why would you eat oh, food no, on that's this? That's my favorite scene. <laughs> We've, I've never seen a more dramatic silver surfer that when he's on the couch like laid out like with like the, the spilled like plant next to him and alicia's like oh my god like are you okay you must need help and he's just like oh my god just spread yes. out on the couch like he's oh i love it 
it's so weird that these earth people would be eating earth food. <laughs> yeah. Like, how dare they? It's so wasteful. Let me just turn all of this into energy. And he just starts destroying yeah. everything in yeah. her yeah. or converting. Yeah. So great. Oh, he's yeah. such a... But like the, the, the basic idea of there is this threat in space and you can't stop him is so fun and so solid. And such the basis of what Galactus is. And what, what I can't get over, I'd love to know how this happened, is that if I were writing the story, I think if anyone was writing the story, You'd be like, Galactus, we've got what we need. The story's there with Galactus. We don't need the Silver yeah. Surfer. But once you put him in there, it it's it gives Alicia something really fun to do. And it it makes this great relationship. And the fact that Galactus has a herald, like he's going to show up and eat a planet, but he'll let you know first is such a fun <laughs> part of him that I love. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, just, it all works. Yeah. He's going to eat your planet. He might as well at least give you a heads up. Just give you a heads up. Yeah. My favorite thing is that like nothing is going to stop it unless you're the scrolls and you can just call a massive blackout where everyone turns off their lights and pretends like they're not home and Galactus just continues <laughs> to move on. Meanwhile, we have the watcher over here like let's just create this fire shield across the planet and so better Shirt's hide like, it. Got it. Found you guys. <laughs> oh god, I I love big fat baby watcher which we'll get to in a second, but getting back onto uh, Stan Lee and and the sort of the vibe of the story it, this is so perfectly uh, marveled to me is that you have that drama, you have that elevated sense and the, the dialogue is very operatic, all that stuff. But this story is also exceptionally funny. Ben Grimm never mm -hmm. stops joking around. There's even a, like no. a comment where Sue's like, can you not joke? And he's like, he basically says, if I stop laughing i'm gonna start crying everything around yeah. here is just terrifying i'm gonna blow and, a gasket i can't awful. handle it yeah we're gonna yeah. blow a gasket that's what he says uh and then there's this like one fight that happens in 48 i've always loved it's this guy the who flick. just like comes up to ben and he says well a belt in the oh. labanza will knock the wind out yeah. of your sails the labanza i love that <laughs> choice and then yeah ben just goes clink and knocks the guy out it's so uh, the plink is perfect because you have that like first moment where he's it's like it's two panels it's one where it's like a close-up of him just like deadpanning into the camera like with his like devil horns up ready to like get that plunk in the way or plunk at the guy and then it just like the full reaction but then it also like i don't know like, that's out. a great yeah he's like completely he's, he's fully out cold <laughs> right and then like the at the end of that same issue you have the same scenario where he's plunking uh, the Silver Surfer, but the Silver Surfer just completely flails and falls off the building. And then they're like, I think he meant to do that. Like, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he did. I think he just wanted to leave and this is the easiest way. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out like, that that is the case. He's like, ah, I got no time for this. I'll just fall yeah. into our land. I'll deal with that later. There's also the depiction of Reed Richards, which is pretty consistent for this, these, you know, early years. He is such a <laughs> He's just the okay. worst. He's the worst to sue. He's always like caught up in his own business and he is like he snaps at her at every opportunity and it's one of those things where it's just like read stop it like f <laughs> like remember that you are in a you have a loving relationship you have a family all this stuff he's such a jerk in here and i like that i know it makes him a different character he's not just this vanilla you know sort of pipe smoking guy. scientist guy yeah he's like leader he's got layers to him even if i get angry at him and i want to slap him across his his rubbery face there's still something there he also does one of his wacky transformations where he rolls thing up in a sleeping bag and then as the sleeping bag rolls into the baxter building it's just great like he's like i'm the smartest guy in the universe i will transform into a sleeping bag to protect you <laughs> 
Stop bothering me, Sue. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, like that first instance that we get in issue 48 where, where Sue's just like on the like video call with him and he's just like, leave me alone, woman. Someone once told me that like whenever they read the old like 1960s, Stanley, Jack Kirby, even like early, early John Byrne, like mm-hmm. Invisible Woman stuff, they just like to imagine her as hangry. <laughs> uh, because it's because her excuse is always that like she like she's always bothering Reed for reasons like I want to go out to dinner like why, why is he not paying attention to me and I'm like that's a little much but if you think about it in terms that she's just very hangry person like makes sense because I'm a very hangry person and I'm like yes like I would be like she's stop got it like big appetites she's like yeah, I'm hungry we, let's go we need to go out I want fancy like she's a foodie she's got to you know keep the Instagram going like I love it I'm here for it. My other uh, favorite subtle thing in this is there's one in the last issue, they keep using ants as the comparison. And I love it because Johnny goes out to like negative space and he comes back and all he can talk about how small humanity is and we're all like ants, mm-hmm. this whole ant thing. But in the middle issue, I guess Stan hadn't landed on ants yet. And he has Johnny say Galactus flicks him away as easily as he would flick away a flea, which I love because it implies yeah. Johnny is like flicking fleas off himself. Like he has fleas. He knows what it's like to flick a flea off himself. No person would ever say it's like how I flick away a flea unless they're, they've had yes. experience with fleas on their body. So Johnny Storm has fleas. They have no pets, <laughs> no dogs. Where are these no. fleas coming from? Who knows? This issue 48 also includes one of Jack Kirby's great um, photo collage multimedia pieces where, um, you know, we've, I would love to to have that re- to like have the experience of in 1965 you're reading this mm-hmm. comic for the first time and you're flip flip and you've got this beautiful Jack Kirby art and you know Galactus is finally coming to earth and you turn the page and it is this shot of this out of this world machinery that is photographs of them and then this collage in your comic book and it it should feel like this crazy like what is that it's mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's stunning. It's gorgeous. It's otherworldly. It fits the story so well. It's it hits you right in the face. I, it's really cool. Well, we haven't talked about this yet, Brian. But I'm curious. Like, obviously, you're writing Fantastic Four. Your first issue is coming out the same week that we dropped this episode. So, mm. if you're listening, you should definitely pick this up. But I'm curious. Why did you pick this particular Fantastic Four arc? Yeah, that that's a great question, Jasmine. Um. The main idea I had is I was like, well, that's A, it's awesome. But B, what I love about it is these big ideas are just being thrown around almost casually. And what I'm trying to do with my little run on Fantastic Four is to have these similar sort of like, let's tell these smaller self-contained stories, but with big sci-fi, weird science ideas. And there's so much of them in this arc from the, uh, the, the steel sphere that sinks to the Earth's core before we even get to Galactus. And then Galactus at one point, I forgot until I reread it. He gets encased in a wall of solid energy for three mm-hmm. panels, and then that he escapes from, and he's just incredible. And they're just throwing out these these huge ideas that you could build a whole story around, but for them, it's three panels of a solid energy wall that holds Galactus for 10 seconds, and we're moving along. And I just love that inventiveness and that wild places the story can go without any warning. So that's what really appeals to me for this, and that's why I was thinking of it when, when you asked. I thought, well, let's get my name associated with one of the best here. <laughs> Now that we're talking about your book, I would love to focus on what we see in the Fantastic Four fan page. At the end of the book, um, Ryan, you detail the four guiding lights that you had in mind for your run on Fantastic Four. Could you explain those a little bit to us? The four pillars I had were the Fantastic Four are fun, the Fantastic Four are adventurers, the Fantastic Four can do anything, 
and the Fantastic Four are accessible. So for fun, I thought like we're like we're talking about with with this arc here. This is a book that is just awesome and fun, and let's do really cool things. And adventurers meant like let's explore the unknown. The impossible is crazy interesting. Let's not get get stuck with what's come before, but let's go new places. Can do anything. The same idea of like these are adventurers, these are scientists, these are smart people, strong people. There's also a fire guy. Like it's there's so much potential there. You know, it's like burn on Johnny. And then accessible, it was the same thing I had in my pitch for Squirrel Girl, where we're not throwing away what's come before, but let's make sure that you can pick up any comic and have a good time with it, which is the same thing that Jack and Stan were doing yeah. in the 60s. That any one of these issues, the three is sharp, but you can pick up anywhere and you'll understand what's happening and be like, wow, this Galactus guy is bad news. So it's that sense of let's keep the door open to new readers and let's make it uh, a fun thing to to read, a fun place to be. I'm a huge Fantastic Four fan. Like they were the first comics that I read. Um, mm-hmm. They were the ones that really got me into comics. And like I love that the Fantastic Four have always been Marvel's first family. They've always stood for this like level of accessibility. So I love that that's one of your your four guiding lights. Because it should be at its core, they are the most accessible Marvel characters. Like they are a family. They are friends. Like. But also just like the idea that like at that time when they were created, like it's what I would consider like an expansive definition of what a family is. Like it's not just, you know, mom, dad, and then kids and a dog and a white picket fence around them. Like it's like you might have your best friend living with you or you get to choose your family. You know, like it really pushes the limit on what that is. The cast expands throughout the years where we get other characters like the kids, like Alicia. You know, there's a new girlfriend for Johnny Storm every other like issue. And Mm -hmm. then we get the cast of the Inhumans. Like there's so much going on. And I'd love to see that it's continuing even today. I mean, the cast expands in the story. We have middle of Galactus fight. He brings out these Punisher robots to beat up on them for a couple panels. Again, this this big idea that's there. What if Galactus had these robots that are like half man, half, half alive, half machine, they're really fast and then they're he calls them off and they go back they never enter the story again and it's just it's such a fun cool big idea and also uh first appearance of the punisher (laughs) (laughs) i think Uh, so pretty sure yes yeah you know it's really fascinating too because reading it back to back to back this morning thinking about how that first issue opens up with the you know the last bits of the inhuman stuff and they're coming off that adventure and then the issue 50 sets up a whole bunch of stuff and like there's there's this part where like you're following this football player who's kind of a doof on campus and like all this stuff and Mm -hmm. i was trying to remember i was like what is this going on but but when you look at it the galactus story probably encompasses about two issues there's enough ancillary stuff that they're coming off of or building into that you you Mm -hmm. could even condense all the galactus stuff into two just two solid issues but they they sort of plot it out and and get it set up and it's rolling in, in all these different ways it is such a an um, economical force mm-hmm. of storytelling and inventiveness, as you were talking about, Ryan, it is, it is, it's pure magic. And looking at it is like stunning. Yeah. And they do like, even in all this like world ending stuff, Galactus has come, the sky is fire and rocks. They still find these great character moments. My favorite one, I think is in the last issue of the arc where uh, it's when Galactus is covered in that energy wall of solid energy and Reed's like, this is a wall of solid energy. Better not touch it. And then Ben touches it and gets electrocuted. And Reed says, I told you not to touch it. I warned you. And Ben's like, well, I should have warned me harder. Warn me harder next time. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, so good. You get their personality. And it's just a fun little yes. joke in the middle of these world-ending stakes. It works so well. So how many walls of energy can we expect in your run, Ryan? Every issue, three walls okay. of energy minimum or your money right. back. Got it. 
you know, my memory is a funny thing. So in my brain, you get this, you know, this story of the Watcher sending Johnny Storm to Galactus's house to pick up the the ultimate nullifier, and we get a, a discussion mm-hmm. about the ultimate nullifier. But no, it's far trippier and weirder and less explanatory. Of like, the Watcher's like, all right, I'm gonna send you into a place that is impossible to describe and it's so weird and Mm -hmm. you're going past space time and you're going through all these things. And it's like, he doesn't even say what he's going for. He just come, Johnny comes back. He's like, (laughs) basically like, I'm going to puke. This is, I'm so messed up. What just happened to me? And he's like, okay, great. You got this. This is surely is what you're, you're looking for. Yeah. I I can't figure out the watcher in this story because he's like, I must never interfere, but I'm telling you Galactus is coming. And but I can't interfere. And then I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go talk to Galactus though. But I can't interfere. But I'll send Johnny to go get the ultimate nullifier. I won't just give it to him. Yes. I'll send him because I, I he says I can't interfere. You have to do this yourself. Like he's I don't know what moral line he has in his head that he's not crossing. <laughs> but it reads either he's just like being really petty and really snippy about it, or he's just constantly like redefining what he's allowed to do. Like I never break a vow more than three times in a day and i've done it two already so we have to stop here <laughs> unless you ask very very nicely then i yes yeah. i i read it as it's a very human sort of way to be right you know like we this person who is striving to do xyz but constantly like oh but but, but all right maybe next time he's like oh this is my last chocolate chip cookie and but the next one's gonna be my last chocolate chip you know like yeah. he's, he's yeah. constantly he's like yeah us uh, although he's you know an ancient you know giant sometimes galactic being it's it's again it's one of those things where they they make something so outlandish and strange feel so human and relatable and at the same time so symbolic right like you have a guy who's called the watcher whose job is to watch and then this is the time where he's like i simply cannot watch you you i have to help you and you're like wow this the stakes are instantly there right like they cannot be higher the watcher is intervening this is getting real the story you know wraps up there's this great panel of galactus being like damn you kids and yeah. he's, he's got his fist where he's <laughs> like well there's one last thing to do i'm gonna zap silver surfer and make sure you, you can't get anywhere beautiful beautiful art throughout but the wrap-up to the adventure for the the team as a whole is so funny to me and so messed up because they're all on the roof and they're all like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And Reed's like, I got to get Johnny to a hospital. And and uh, Alicia comes up with Silver Surfer and she's like explaining to him. And, and Ben's like, she didn't even see me. Oh, I'm going to go away. And everybody leaves her on the roof. They leave yep. with she doesn't have her walking stick. There's no handrail on the stairs to get down from there. It's messed up. She doesn't. Need it. She's amazing. But I, the thing where you said, uh, you know, Galactus is like, well, I got to go up and mess with Silver Surfer first. But again, like I talked earlier about Stanley's language, what he says is it's elevated, but it works. He says, and I wrote it down, at last I perceive the glint of glory within the race of mankind. Be ever worthy of that glory, humans, which doesn't sound like human dialogue, mm-hmm. but it works so well for Galactus as space god saying, oh, <laughs> there's something good in you, humans. Work for it, you know. It'll raise you the stars or bury you within the ruins of war. Let's find out what it is. And then he leaves. I love this book. We can talk about it forever. We get the the last couple of pages of setting stuff up and sort of cool down from everything that's going on. One of my favorites. And J. Jonah Jameson yeah. saying, 
I don't believe this was real, which is just a perfect grace note. <laughs> so, yeah. I, and I love that the, the two people on that panel, they're reading the bugle. And one guy's like, huh, the bugle says this. And the other guy says, the thing that I understand, if the bugle says it, believe the exact opposite. It's yeah, it's so fun. But they we Smartest get Smartest Man in the Marvel Universe right there. Seriously. Right there. Yeah. So totally. They we get Johnny going to college, you know, the big important Johnny at college thing, the first appearance of White Wingfoot. But Johnny is yeah. like in talking to the dean with Wyatt for the first time, hearing about all kinds of stuff, and he just starts zoning out, and there's this great panel where his head is slightly cocked to the side. And Jack draws like galaxies and space and he's just like yeah. <laughs> a million miles away. And it's so it's hilarious, but also so cool and so gnarly to see. And it's like, oh, Johnny, you're a dumb 18 year old. God, or yeah, I guess you're just I mean, 18. it works. He just had this Galactus adventure and then I guess got in a car and went to join his school. <laughs> like, like, nothing matters kind of now. He knows, he knows how small humanity really yeah, is. Yeah, he knows they're just ants. Like, I'm curious, like, how did this book come about? Like, how did this opportunity come about with you writing Fantastic Four? Oh, um, it came about from uh, our editor, Tom Brevoort, uh, asking me for a pitch. And I said, well, you know, if I if I were to do Fantastic Four, and I wrote down those four pillars we talked about, and then uh, basically it would be coming off of Dan's Amazing Run where he went as big as is possible. Like, Fantastic Four saved the multiverse. And I was like, well, there's no beating Dan, so we go in a different direction. Let's tell these smaller, self-contained stories. And let's... It's so much fun, right? Like, you're in this great tradition. You've got these characters ready to go. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of these characters. They're all just perfectly formed for what you want to do with them. And then I get to tell these these weird little science fiction stories with these these four people who roll into town, find a problem, solve it, and go along on their way. It's I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be... Uh, a different sort of flavor of Fantastic Four, but still very much in this tradition of big, weird sci-fi stories, which is what I love. Thank you so much. Where can people find more about you? Oh, uh, you, you can visit my webpage. It's ryannorth.ca because I am Canadian. And there you will find a bunch of stuff I've written, including my latest book, which is called How to Take Over the World. It's a collection of supervillain schemes uh, done with actual science. I wrote it before I was writing Fantastic Four, or even knew I was writing Fantastic Four, but it does feature Doctor Doom in several places. Does it really? <laughs> yeah, as an example of the perfect supervillain. Thanks again, Ryan. This was awesome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Big thanks once again to Ryan North for coming on, spending the time, and talking FF with us. I miss Ryan's long hair. It was really good for a short time. It was, it was sad good. to like see it gone. I mean, we he didn't even let us mourn. You know, he didn't give us any time. Yeah. But Ryan is terrific. New Fantastic Four is terrific. Squirrel Girl's terrific. Again, Ryan North, pretty terrific. And that's it for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Kara McGurk Allison. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Please be sure to rate, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. Um, it is available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs> <laughs>